John 10, 22 to 42. The title of this sermon is The Powerful Shepherd. Last week, we uh, heard from Pastor Sean about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And um, we heard the contrast between the false shepherds and the good shepherd. And in this part of John chapter 10, Jesus is emphasizing the contrast between false sheep and true sheep. And we're going to hear some really good news this morning just about how successful Jesus is at saving his sheep. So let's look now at God's word, John 10, 22 and following. Listen now to God's word. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. Because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. That you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word and for your Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you would fill us in a special way in this worship service with your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you please bear witness with our spirit that we are your children. We pray for those who know you but struggle with assurance that you would reseal them in your love this morning by your Holy Spirit? Would you fill them in a special way? Would you set them free from doubting their salvation by helping them to lay their hope fully upon Jesus, who he is and what he did at the cross? 
We pray that you would save us from having faith in our own faith, but that you would cause us to trust fully in Jesus. We pray that if anyone here or watching online doesn't yet know Jesus, we pray that today would be the day that they hear your voice, Lord Jesus, and they come to you, and that they would know that they are one of your sheep whose salvation you fully accomplished at the cross. Father, we pray that you would have your way. I pray, I plead with you that you would fill me with your spirit and work through me, work through your word, and would you do great things in our midst. Fill us with your love and transform us by that love. that We might be more like Jesus to those around us for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, not to be a downer, but you know that the Lord has called a number of his children home uh, that have a connection with our church recently. And one of them is Kathy Diamond. And I had the amazing privilege of being with her and her family in the hospital um, on Monday night. And she went home to the Lord Tuesday night. Um, and she was sedated some, but she was still able to talk through the mask that she had on. And she asked that I would read Psalm 23. Not surprisingly, you're like, wait, what's that Psalm? Yeah. Psalm 23, and so I read that psalm and prayed for her and just got to hang out in the room for a while. And then um, she asked her daughter to ask me to read it again. I was like, all right, I will, you know. And it was awesome to be able to read that to her again. And I want you to think about why is Psalm 23 so comforting? Why is that? I believe that it has to do with the fact that Jesus isn't just, quote, the shepherd of Israel or like the shepherd of his people, you know, that we are not a number. We are known by name and that there's lots of stuff in the word of God about, you know, we, we, but Psalm 23 is individual. It's the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And that verse about, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's amazing that Jesus actually knows us by name. And in this passage this morning, Jesus is claiming to be that very shepherd, the Lord, Yahweh, the divine Son of God, in Psalm 23. And I want us to think about assurance. You know, I, I imagine that if I am in a similar situation that Kathy was in, if I'm in the hospital and I'm really sick and I know that I'm about to go to hospice where most likely I'm going to die within the next day or two in this situation, I thought, I've thought about how would I feel in that moment? We talked in Sunday school class today about fear, and uh, I don't think that fear in, it, in itself is sinful, 
Um, I know that when I die, I'm going to go be with Jesus, and it's not because of me, it's because of Jesus. But if you held a gun to my head, I'd probably have to change my clothes afterwards, right? Um, death, we, we naturally fear death, and our bodies react to these things, right? And so if I'm laying there thinking about the fact that I'm going to go be with Jesus, that would excite me. But the fact that I don't know what death feels like is scary. It is scary. And I just was reminded about how gracious the Lord is to comfort us through his word. And the fact that he is not only the good shepherd, but he is the powerful shepherd who accomplishes our salvation fully, which means he keeps us fully. And that those who truly trust in Jesus can never be lost and can have confidence Though they may fear, we can have confidence as we face our death. And so with that in mind, I, look, I want us to look at this story and think about how this good news about Jesus can strengthen our assurance of salvation. I want to say that some Christians, for whatever reason, through the chemical makeup of their bodies, they may deal with depression or kind of a melancholy spirit, they may not feel that assurance like other Christians do. It doesn't mean God loves them less than those other Christians. We all have different crosses that we bear in this life. One of those was a guy named William Cooper who wrote a whole bunch of hymns, but he, he struggled with assurance pretty much his whole life. And if you lack a sense of assurance, that does not prove that you're not saved. I want you to hear that very clearly because when I talk about assurance, I don't want you if you're wrestling with that, um, it does not mean you're not trusting in Jesus. There's all kinds of reasons why our feeling of assurance may come and go. But my hope is that God would use this sermon to help you grow in that sense of assurance or to tuck away for when there may be times when you doubt that or when you're scared that you can come back to God's word and receive great comfort. And so let's look at our passage together. Um, this passage uh, at the beginning, verse 22, it says, At that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. That feast of dedication, I'm going to read to you in a minute, just a, a description of what that was and some of the meaning behind that, what they were celebrating. Um, but before I do that, I want to kind of give you a map of where we're going this morning. So, as I mentioned uh, in Sean's sermon, that was a passage emphasizing Jesus as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep versus the false shepherds who don't teach the truth and don't care about the sheep. Well, this morning, we're going to see three things about Jesus, our powerful shepherd. Uh, we're going to see that Jesus, because he's the powerful shepherd, does three things. He saves his sheep. He actually saves fully his sheep. The second thing is that he assures his sheep, generally. Some struggle with assurance, but generally he can, he is a, he can give us assurance. We can have salvation. He not only saves you, but you can know that you're saved. And the last thing is that he offers this salvation, his salvation, through his sheep. 
And so you're going to hear some things that you may, some of you may not have heard before about the particularity of, of Jesus' death on the cross for his people. And, and some of these doctrines in this passage are, are difficult because many people in churches have heard something different about what Jesus was doing at the cross. But my hope is that the very thing that's like, really, what? Will be actually a greater comfort to you and help you trust more fully in what Jesus did accomplishing your salvation at the cross. As Sean mentioned when he, he cried out, it is finished. I want you to ask, what did he finish? Okay, So I want to read to you about this Feast of Dedication. And this is fascinating. And um, I couldn't put it better than this. I'm just going to read uh, from uh, David F. Cook's article called Feast of Dedication, How Jesus Fulfills Hanukkah. So he gives the history of this feast this way. I didn't bring my water up here, but <laughs> I'm still drinking. Remember my last sermon? I drank more water than I've ever drank in the pulpit. He says, Hanukkah is known as the Feast of Dedication uh, or the Festival of Lights. Hanukkah isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. Its origin is in the intertestamental period during one of the most courageous episodes in Israel's history. Antiochus Epiphanes, meaning God manifest, was one of Alexander the Great's successors, sought to unify his empire by establishing a single religion. Consequently, Judaism and its practices, Sabbath observance, scripture reading, and the circumcision of baby boys were outlawed in Israel. He was a, great, he was a horrible persecutor of God's people. The temple was also desecrated when a pig, which is an unclean animal, was sacrificed to Zeus there on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. Under the leadership of a priest named Judas Maccabeus, a nickname meaning hammer, so he's a real wimp, right? Hammer, the Jewish people fought a guerrilla-style war against Antiochus' forces. Though greatly outnumbered, the Jewish rebels won an amazing victory and retook the temple. On the 25th of Kislev, uh, which is around the middle of December, that's the Jewish month, Kislev, around the middle of December in 164 B.C., the defiled temple was re-consecrated. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, babe. My lovely wife, Laura. Thank you, babe. She loves the spotlight. Not really. Thank you. Um, let's see. Uh, so about the middle of December, the defiled temple was reconsecrated and sacrifices were offered to God in accordance with the Mosaic law. The people joyfully celebrated the rededication of the temple for eight days. At the conclusion of the festivities, it was decreed that a similar festival be held each year beginning on the 25th of Kislev. Um, you can find this in the apocryphal, not scripture, but still helpful books of Maccabees. It, was, it wasn't one of the required pil pilgrimage festivals mandated in Exodus 23, but those who attended found the days filled with great rejoicing. Um, if you remember what I said about the Feast of Tabernacles, how what one Jewish writer wrote, if you haven't seen the party that goes on at the Feast of ta Tabernacles, you've not seen a party in your life yet, Okay. And what they said was this, this feast of dedication was neck and neck 
with the Feast of Tabernacles in terms of how excited people were. How, you know, think about the victory over the enemies and then getting the temple back. And what, what was so special about the temple? That's how you met with a holy God. God moved into Israel, in a sense, in the temple. He dwells in the highest heavens, but he also made his special presence known in the temple. And without that, the, that sacrificial system continuing to happen, they couldn't in real time as much feel that connection with God. This was before the cross happened. And so this affected their sense of their relationship with God. And so, you know, think about how excited you get when your team wins, you know. Um, if you've ever been to a football game and you like football uh, or a soccer game and you like soccer, when your team wins, you know, you don't just go, oh, that's cool, you know. You're like, yeah, man, yeah, <laughs> this is awesome. Like, that's how this festival was. It was a reminder of God's work. Judas Maccabeus didn't claim the glory for himself that God had supernaturally intervened and helped this small little army defeat these overpowering armies to get God's temple back and God's worship back for God's people. And so this is super exciting. But so this, this background, I think, is really helpful because this interaction that Jesus has with these people, you're going to see some of these themes in the story that we're looking at this morning in God's providence. So... I told you that Jesus, the powerful shepherd, does three things. He talks about doing three things in this passage. He saves his sheep, he assures his sheep, and he offers his salvation through his sheep. So let's look at these things together. The first is that Jesus gives his sheep a completely secured salvation. I actually want to look back earlier in this chapter um, to the passage that, John, uh, that Sean preached from last week. I want us to look at John 10, 14, and 15. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus died on the cross for his sheep. And so... Uh, what I want you to consider is, what did that death on the cross for his sheep actually accomplish? What did it actually accomplish? Well, given the rest of the things that he's going to say in this passage, we know that he actually accomplished our salvation. It was fully accomplished. Um, but the difficult part of this is that Jesus is going to say to some of these people, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. And this is very difficult because many of us, if not most of us, have been taught that when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying for every sin of every man, woman, and child who has ever lived and will ever live, right? That is one of the most, that's probably the most common view in our churches in our country right now, which like, yeah, duh, Jesus died for everyone. But, uh, but what we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus died for his sheep. And his sheep are a great number, more than a man can number from every single tribe and tongue. But not everyone is his sheep. And, and that, that's like, what? You're crazy. But 
I think you see this in the passage. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and he says, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. He doesn't say, you're not one of my sheep yet because you don't believe. He says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Only Jesus knows that. We don't. But what I hope that you see as good news is that this actually means that Jesus, what he did at the cross for you, actually saved you. It accomplished your salvation. It was applied later, and we're going to get to that. But sometimes, like, think about it this way. If Jesus did, if you're a Christian, you're trusting in Jesus, or you will become one before you die, you're his sheep. But think about it this way. What Jesus did at the cross was so successful that if he did that literally for every man, woman, and child who's ever lived and would live, then everyone would go to heaven. You think, think about that. And ask yourself, did Jesus do the same thing for those who end up in hell as he did to save you? If he did, it's something besides Jesus that saves you. It's your faith. And what happens is, Yes, we're saved by faith, through faith in Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. But what happens pastorally, functionally, psychologically, is if Christians believe that Jesus didn't do anything for them uh, different than what he did for those who end up going to hell, their faith becomes their object of faith, not Jesus and his work at the cross. Does that make sense? Some of you be like, this guy's weird. What in the world is he saying? Like, we can have more conversations. It's not like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, but I think that will be more clear to you as we look in this passage. And the very thing that's difficult, like, what do you mean? The, the, this sort of airtight plan of salvation, what's awesome is that the last point is that the same accomplished, completed salvation is meant to be freely offered to everyone. And in theory, Everyone on the face of the earth could be his sheep, and they, and they just haven't come to know him yet before they die. So don't think, oh, what if they're not his sheep, or what if I'm not his sheep? If you're trusting in Jesus, you're his sheep. If you're here this morning, you're not yet trusting in Jesus, I hope you are his sheep. But you know what's awesome? He's going to offer his salvation freely to you. Take it if you want it this morning. It's yours for the taking. Come to him. Okay, so we'll see this. I'm getting kind of ahead of myself because I'm excited uh, shockingly. Uh, so, but, but he said, the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. And then he tells some people, you are not of my sheep. But then he's going to say about his sheep, every one of his sheep goes to heaven. Every single one of his sheep. No, no actual sheep of Jesus will perish. Let's look at that. So he accomplished our salvation at the cross, and he applies it through calling his sheep and giving them eternal life. And the fancy words for theologians are effectual calling and regeneration. We'll, we'll look at this. Look at uh, John 10, 2-4. We are going to get to our passage, by the way. John 10, 2-4. They're sort of linked together, right? Same chapter. John 10, 2-4. He says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they what? Know his voice. Every sheep 
of Jesus either has heard his voice and has begun following him or will hear his voice before they die. Look at verse 27 and 28 with me of chapter 10. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's what we call effectual calling. Jesus freely offers the gospel to everyone, but by the Holy Spirit, he effectually calls his sheep to himself. They hear his voice, and they come to him. Notice the confidence that Jesus has that all of his sheep will hear his voice, right? It's a, it's, a univ- it's a sweeping statement. My sheep hear my voice. He doesn't say, but there's some sheep that won't hear my voice. There's some of my sheep that won't hear my voice, and they're going to go to hell. He doesn't say that. And then he says this as well, confidently. In verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life. I make it happen. They are dead in their sins, Ephesians 2 tells us, unable to want Jesus. And so I, by my spirit, give them eternal life. Are you beginning to see how the phrase salvation of the Lord might mean more than you thought it did? That Jesus is powerful and he's able to save his sheep and he does save his sheep? In Acts 13, 48, we're told by Luke, when there was, someone was preaching, it says, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now that's a unique situation. There may be people here appointed to eternal life that will not believe while they're hearing this sermon, but like months later or years later, then they believe in Jesus, okay? So this, is, this, is, this doesn't happen this way every time. But the Holy Spirit is very clear to us in the book of Acts. It says, as many as were appointed, that it means as many as were Jesus' sheep, as many as were appointed to eternal life, believe that day. That's his sheep hearing his voice and him giving them eternal life. In John 17, Jesus is going to pray this. He says, it says, when Jesus had spoken, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you hear that? The Father has given sheep to Jesus, appointed them, ordained them, yes, predestined them to come to Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 37 and following, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I'll in no wise cast out. He said, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And, and his will is this, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. Isn't that amazing? Jesus actually saves his sheep. He doesn't merely make it possible for everyone where it's theoretically possible that no one will come to him. No one will choose him. And no one will go to heaven. That's not God's plan. But what's awesome is that Jesus gives this free offer of the gospel in, the, in verse 40, right after he said all that airtight plan of salvation stuff. All the Father gives me will come to me. When it comes to me, will, I will raise up at the last day. They're, they're saved. Everyone the Father gives me will be saved. None that the Father gives me will be lost. None of my sheep will be lost. You know what he does right after that? I'm totally jumping ahead, but I hope the Lord's leading me in this. He goes, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who looks to the Son, S-O-N, Jesus, everyone, anyone who looks to the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. So you see that? The gospel is freely offered to anyone. And if you, you don't think this, you might be tempted to think, okay, Balzer, if what you're saying is true, um, that means someone could come to Jesus and they'd be like, Jesus, I want you. He'd be like, oh, oh, nope, sorry, you're not on my sheep list. Bye. I, I, you're not, you can't come to me. Like, I reject you. That will never happen. What happens is when you take Jesus up at his offer to come to him, you know that he, you are his sheep. And you came to him because he called you by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he made you born again. That's what regeneration is. He gave you eternal life. He made you born again, and then you were able to believe in him because you're alive now by the Holy Spirit. Again, I know this is difficult. Some of you will be like, this is crazy. If, well, my wife may not want me to say, hey, if you want to talk to me afterwards. Uh, uh, <laughs> I do want to eat, but... If you don't have my cell phone number, I'll give it to you, and I would love to meet with you and talk about this, because this is like at least three cups of coffee kind of conversation. I understand that some of you aren't going to go like, oh, okay, David, that's great, whatever. All the stuff I heard before was wrong, and now, like, you know, it takes time, okay? So just, just know that. I know that. I understand that. Um, but we receive our salvation, so... Uh, he accomplished our salvation at the cross. He applies it by calling them powerfully by the Holy Spirit and making them born again. And then, but, we, but we will acknowledge, in order to have salvation applied to you, in order for you to experience salvation, you have to receive it as a free gift from Jesus through faith in who he is and what he did. And what I hope is that this passage is shepherding, that the Lord is shepherding you even more fully to believe in Jesus. And who he is and what he did for you at the cross and not faith in faith, right? John 10, 16, Jesus says, I must bring them also. He says, I have, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, not Jewish believers. I have Gentile believers, believers throughout all nations. He said, them also I must bring. He said, and they will listen to my voice. Listening to his voice is responding in faith. That's what that is. It's responding to him. Thanks for your patience with my dry mouth. And then again, faith 
is connected with receiving salvation, and it distinguishes uh, uh, people from one another. Again, in John 10, 25, and 26, Jesus says this. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. So they were asking him, you know, how long will you keep us in suspense? As if he wasn't clear already, right? He's already told them he's the Christ. He's already proved by his works that he's the Christ, but they don't believe. But the flip side is, Jesus' sheep either do or will believe in him before they die. Jesus actually accomplishes our salvation. The second thing, he not only saves his sheep completely, he assures his sheep. Jesus can give his sheep an assurance that we can feel, not all the time, but you can actually know that you're saved. You can savor your salvation. You can savor your Savior knowing that you really are saved. You really are permanently forgiven. That's the confidence that Sean was talking about when we confess our sins to God. We're not wondering if he forgives us. Jesus already cried out, it is finished. He's already accomplished the forgiveness of your sins permanently. And so you can't get out of his forgiveness. You can't get unforgiven because he's already accomplished it. So he not only saves us, but he wants us to know that we are saved. Uh, and he assures us in this passage by, uh, by telling us what he's going to do, like his works, what he did, and then who he is. And that assures us as well. So let's look at his works. He tells us what he will do. You know, uh, let's look back at um, uh, verse, verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So he promises to keep his sheep, to preserve his sheep. Some Christians believe that you can lose your salvation, that you can be truly saved and then get out of salvation. That is not what the Bible teaches. There are some people who are self-deceived and think they're Jesus' sheep, but there's no fruit in their life. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They haven't been born again, and that manifests itself where Jesus says at the end, I never knew you, you know? You didn't love God, and you didn't love people, so you didn't know me. But, um, but he, he keeps his sheep. He says, we will never perish. No one can snatch them out of eternal life in his hands. So he tells us what he does. He keeps us. His word tells you you cannot lose your salvation. If you truly trust in Jesus, your life will be changed and, and, and it will be manifested in your life. But you cannot lose your salvation. He will keep you, remember? And that all he has given me, I will raise it up at the last day. There are no empty seats at the table of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Oh, that's Bob, but he couldn't make it, you know. Uh, So-and-so, oh, he didn't make it either. Jesus tried to save him real hard, but he failed. Think about that. Jesus tried to save him really hard, but he failed. Because what he did at the cross wasn't enough. That's what we're saying if we say that Jesus did the same thing for everyone, including those who go to hell. Do you understand that? Jesus is not the Savior. He made it possible, 
But your faith kicks in and you seal the deal. He did his 90%, but the 10% is my faith. That's what seals the deal. Experientially, that's exactly right. We're told Jesus died for your sins. Believe in him. You believe in him. And yes, you're sealed. But even your faith is a gift of God. Stop trusting in your faith, if that's what you're trusting in. And trust in Jesus and who he is and what he did at the cross. That's how we have assurance, right? That's how we have assurance. He, points, he tells us what he's going to do, that he's going to keep us. And then he points us to who he is, his person. Look again at, at what Jesus says after he tells us what he's going to do to keep us. Verse 29. He says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then what does he say? I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Then they took up stones to stone him because they knew what he was saying. I'm God. <laughs> I And the, the word one is not talking about one person. It's a, it's a neuter pronoun. It's in the neuter form, not male nor female. And so it's like one thing, one substance. This is where we, one of the places we see the doctrine of the Trinity in the Bible. Jesus can, can, is distinct from the Father, but he can say, I and the Father are one. He is one with the Father, one with the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, distinct and mutual love, one being, one substance, quote, unquote, but it's spiritual, right? Jesus is reminding us of who he is and of his power. That my Father and I are united in, in actually saving the sheep. And those sheep cannot be lost. You cannot be lost. Now, I want to um, teach you a trick that I play on my doubts, okay? This is a trick that may be helpful for you, okay? Because, you know, I doubt sometimes too, right? When Jesus says, all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out, right? When he says that, think about it this way. If you're like, am I really one of his sheep? Am I really saved? Okay, think about it this way. Imagine that you're in a courtroom, And there's a judge that's looking at you. He looks you in the eye, or she. They look you in the eye, and they say, "Have you you swore an oath, okay? So you have to be honest with me. Have you come to Christ? Could you say no without knowing that you're lying? Think about it. How would you feel if a judge asked you, have you come to Christ? How would you feel if you said, no, I've not come to Christ? If you're a Christian, you'd probably feel like Peter, who's denying Jesus. No, I've never known him. No, I'm not with Jesus. I haven't come to Christ. You would know that you're lying because you know that you have come to Christ. Does that make sense? I hope that's helpful. That's really helpful to me. Because if you've come to Jesus, you are kept by Jesus. And in John chapter 6, Jesus says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless he is drawn by the Father And I will raise him up at the last day. So if you put all of these things together, do you see how secure your salvation is? And how you can be assured of your salvation? Well, again, some of this is, it's really hard to think about. This is not an easy passage to preach from, okay? And it's not an easy thing for y'all to hear. This This may be a paradigm shift for some of you. 
But what I want you to see is that not only Jesus doesn't just save his sheep fully and assure his sheep, he offers freely this salvation through his sheep. Because all the stuff that I've been saying may sound like, hey, game's locked. Remember at recess, like someone's playing football or whatever, like, oh, sorry, man, game's locked. Can't play. That, is it fair to say that what I've just preached to you about what, who Jesus died for and all that, doesn't that kind of sound like game's locked, if you're honest? Any head nods? That sound like, you know, help me out here. <laughs> What's that? Oh, okay, sorry. That may have been a 1980s thing. Yeah, right. They're taught to be more inclusive now and stuff with games. Okay, sorry. Bad, bad, bad analogy. But if someone is not a sheep yet or doesn't know that they know Jesus, wouldn't this seem to give them absolutely no hope? They're like, well, there's Jesus' sheep and you're not one of them, so yeah, it stinks to be you, man. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not how we are to think about this. Because as I've mentioned before, this, this seemingly games locked, this, I call it the airtight plan of salvation, right? No one is getting out of Jesus' hand that he saves, at the, he accomplishes their salvation at the cross. No one is lost. Every single person that Jesus died for at the cross will be with God. There are no exceptions. None will be lost. That's pretty airtight, isn't it, right? Like you go on a field trip, you got... 58 people, you know, uh, Jesus, if Jesus was running the field trip, he, and he, there's 58 kids, he would be on the bus with 58 kids, well, maybe not one bus, but like a caravan of buses, he would have all 58 get back to the school safely, right? None is lost. It's this airtight plan of salvation, right? But this airtight plan of salvation is an accomplished salvation that you can freely offer to anyone. Isn't that how you got saved? Someone told you about Jesus, you learned about Jesus, and, and you're like, well, what if I'm not one of his sheep? Don't think that way. The Bible does not, God does not want you to think that way. Because Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to make his appeal for you to come to him. And we, we call everyone to come to Jesus. No one should think, well, I kind of want Jesus, but I don't know if I'm one of his sheep or not. Don't think that way, okay? Do not think that way. Because you know Jesus is calling you to himself. You don't have to wonder, well, will he want me if I come to him? He's already told you in his word to come to, me, to, come to him. This free offer, right? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look how Jesus appeals. He offers freely this salvation to the people he was just talking to. Look at, look at what he says. Um, if you skip down, verse 37, he says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though, look, listen to his humility. <laughs> even though you do not believe me, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Isn't that amazing? Some of those people aren't his sheep, but some of them, some of them may be. And so Jesus is giving this free offer. He's like, 
even if you don't believe my words, just look at what I'm doing and let that give you faith so that you can know me and know, know the Father, know the Holy Spirit. You can know God. That's what eternal life is, is knowing the true God, being in a loving relationship with the true God. He freely offers this. And so um, let's look at, to the end of this passage. I've skipped over some for the sake of time because I know that some of the stuff I was saying was really hard. So I, I've taken extra time to try to help out with that. So, um, but let's look at the passage um, at verse 39 and following. It says, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Um, side note, uh, it's not that he wasn't going to die. It just wasn't Passover yet. It wasn't his time to die. He wasn't trying to avoid death, you know, forever, but it wasn't his time. He had to be crucified at Passover because he's the divine son of God sent to be the lamb of God to give the life of God to all who trust in him. Um, so verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. What, what is the significance of him going away across the Jordan? Because that's where the outsiders were. The insiders were in, you know, Israel, Judah. On the other side of the Jordan, that's where those outsiders were, those Gentiles, the nations, right? But remember what Jesus said. He says, many other sheep I have that are not of this fold, not of Israel, not Jewish Christians, and them also I must bring, and, and, they, and they will know me and have eternal life. So he is, th this is his mission to offer the gospel to all the nations. You see that? He's not like, well, I've got this small group of Presbyterians. They're my sheep, and eh, everyone else. It's not that at all. It's not what you heard about Calvinism in high school history class, okay? Um, so he freely offers it. So he goes across the Jordan. Why is that significant? It, who, who else has the same name of Jesus in the Old Testament? You can shout it out, you know? Joshua, right? Did Joshua ever go over the Jordan River? I don't know. Help me out. I'm just kidding. Yes, he went over the Jordan River, right? Why did he go over the Jordan River? Because... Israel was the promised land, and they had defeated these nations, these Gentiles, right? And they were going in to be in the promised land. They crossed the Jordan that way. Well, the New Testament pictures Jesus not only as the new Moses, who also had people wanting to stone him to death, by the way. If you look in the Old Testament, Jesus had that in common with Moses. They were taking up stones to try to stone him, too. Uh, it's funny how the people grumble against Jesus. I'm not like that at all, right? Neither are you. Um, Joshua crossed over the Jordan to, enter the, to have God's people enter the promised land. Jesus goes the other way. Jesus crosses the Jordan, but he's crossing in a different direction. Why do you think that is? Because in the new covenant, the new promised land is the world. And he is on a mission through his sheep, sharing the gospel with other people, freely offering it. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for you. Believe in him. Come to him. He says, come to me. He says, come to me. Does he want you? Of course he does. He said, come to me. Come to me in his word. Come to me. He's calling you. Come to me, he says. 
He's going to use that to bring in a number of sheep, more than a man can number, from every tribe and tongue, who theoretically could be everyone on the face of the earth now until Jesus comes back. So from our perspective, it's not games locked. It's you have an actual salvation, not a partial salvation, to freely offer to people because Jesus said, it is finished. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we pray for your wisdom. I pray for those who may have not heard anything like this this morning, that you'd help them to be like the Bereans, that you'd help them to search the scriptures to see whether these things be so. I pray that you would give grace to all of us as we wrestle with these things. But Father, I plea with you that ultimately you would use what you've taught us through your word to help us to trust more fully in Jesus and what he did and not in what we do. And Lord, we pray that you would give us greater confidence for evangelism, that you are able to save your sheep and that you, you, you make people hear your voice. And that we can offer this to anyone. And we can't look at anyone and say, oh, they're not one of his sheep. So, Father, we pray for wisdom. And we thank you for our salvation. Lord Jesus, thank you for actually fully saving us 100%. We love you, God, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.